Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Paul Richards, Craig Knox, and Peter Jones to discuss the ROI of cybersecurity and cyber risk quantification. Uh, so before we delve into the topic in a bit more detail, to work our way around with a few introductions. So uh, Paul, do you want to kick us off? Hi, I'm Paul Richards. Uh, I've basically been around cyber for about 30 odd years in uh, consultancy roles, but also run real security teams uh, in real organizations. So definitely sat on both sides of the table. Right now, I'm the, uh, one of the virtual CISO team at Sapio Information Security, um, and I have about another five organizations that I'm virtual CISO for. Um, so it's a great opportunity to share all that knowledge and experience. Thanks, Paul. Craig? Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Craig Knox. I'm currently Director of Product and Platform Security at TomTom. Uh, I look after the teams responsible for building our products securely. And then also looking after all the applications and platforms that we use, so Microsoft Suite, Slack, and so on. Um, been at TomTom for about two years. Um, prior to that, I led the security and CTO function at Barclay Group. And prior to that, security roles at Ladbrokes, Nokia, Microsoft. Been in IT for too long to remember and security for about 20 years. Thanks, Greg. And finally, Peter. Yeah, uh, been in technology for 20, 25 years. Uh, Kim from the digital forensics angle. Uh, currently, the day job is a CISO uh, for a leading insurance company. And I do a lot of talks under the Cyber Badger alias. So, not to be confused. <laughs> Next bit. And now, a word from our sponsor, Qualis. But who are Qualis? Qualis is recognized as an industry pioneer and a premium provider of cutting-edge cloud-based security compliance and IT solutions, backed by a global subscriber base exceeding 10,000 customers. Qualys is incredibly proud to be supporting Evolution Podcasts. Together we are dedicated to addressing the prevalent challenges in the ever-changing landscape of cybersecurity. Qualys assists organizations in consolidating and automating their security and compliance solutions onto a unified platform, resulting in enhanced agility, improved business outcomes, and a significant cost reduction. Utilizing a single agent, the Qualys Cloud Platform delivers continuous critical security intelligence and remediation with comprehensive coverage extending across on-premise, endpoints, servers, public and private cloud, containers and mobile devices, ensuring robust security across a diverse environment. For more information, please visit Qualys.com and see for yourself how Qualys can help your business manage and reduce your cyber risk at speed, at scale, and in a quantifiable way. Okay, so now we're all introduced, let's move on to the topic. Uh, so you've all got questions or a statement around the ROI cybersecurity, and um, so I'll work around uh, asking you each to pose your question and give you your reasons behind it, uh, give you each to uh, sort of give your take on the situation. Um, so I'll, I'll start us off with, with my question here. So, so how do you go about measuring ROI of cybersecurity? So we'll, uh, we'll go to Craig first. Okay, so um, it, <laughs> I'm going to give the Microsoft answer here. It depends, right? I think it's it's quite tricky to do in a lot of cases. Um, but I think what, what I've found has been successful is I try to set the scope of what I actually want to measure. So if it's down to the whole program, specific uh, activities or topics that I'm looking at, um, and then I try to really build in the um, the value and show the value that it brings to, to the business. Um, in a lot of cases, I've seen, you know, 
going for the best and brightest new toys and so on, throwing them in and then getting absolutely no value out of them. So what I like to do is to be able to, um, you know, show, uh, for example, that buying that scene tool cost us whatever, 400 grand, but actually we could have had two analysts with a smaller team tool that's got more value and more resources that we're able to actually get value out of it from that. So a lot of cases, I always look to make sure that if we buy something, we're going to use it. Um, again, another example would be how many companies in the world have got E5 and then use a small amount of it. So again, you, you're spending thousands and thousands of, of, of pounds or dollars there without getting really good value and really integrating the best of suite there. So um, I think one of my sort of founding mottos is sometimes good enough is enough, right? So you, you don't necessarily have to have the best of breed all the time as long as you get real value out of what, what you are, are inputting and bringing in. Yeah. That's great. Paul, we'll continue. Yeah, I kind of agree with Craig there, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. Um, <laughs> it's it's very difficult to, to get that return on investment visibility because, you know, you, you've gone to the board and say, I, I want X amount of money for you know, perimeter defenses for, you know, training, et cetera, and then nothing happens because you don't get attacked and, you know, you've stopped everything you want to stop. So, well, you know, so why am I paying this money for this, all this mm -hmm. stuff that, you know, um, and well, then you get into the whole, well, because I can show you that the, the phishing testing has proven that it cuts down the amount of things that get clicked on. So it's very, as much as it is important to find that return on investment, sometimes, it's not as, as tangible, is it? Mm. Thanks, Paul. Peter? Yeah, it's been what I've been wrestling with for about the past two or three years. It's about listening to how they measure everything else is the way I've been running it. So for a long time, I measured it on what I measure it on, as in, you know, the KPIs against the management system, the KPIs versus uh, what's being patched and this, that, and the other. Listening to what the business measure themselves on, I changed the rules or change the lens. So I still measure how I measure things, but I change how the business look at things, rag ratings, percentage, risks, operational risks, and where the cyber fit in that. And actually, I get questions, and them asking questions for me is part of that return because they're asking, okay, why are we investing in this? What are we doing this for? Because um, waiting for them to ask questions because it's all going wrong, for them at the wrong time. So I completely agree with what Paul and Craig have said, uh, but understanding, you know, they're investing in a lot of things, not just your little segment in the business. So that lens of, here you go, this is how we're protecting the business. Actually, no, this is how we're making everything still operational. Oh, okay, we get it. So very much flipping the manuscript. It's a lot easier in regulated industries as well. You know, you invest in because otherwise you don't get a tick in the box. You you lose your certificate or you lose your license. You know, it's a lot a lot easier in that sort of environment. But for ones that aren't, it's yeah, exactly as you've said, um, Peter. It's it's you know, we we keep going, but <laughs> we can get it back up quicker if we invest properly. Yeah, I want to pick up on two other points there. So I think the the um, regulated environment most definitely. Um, working in the gaming industry, uh, you know, there's a very good chance that a license holder can get arrested at any particular time if we're not compliant, right? So that that makes selling security a lot easier um, in a lot of cases. Um, but at the same time, yeah, talking talking to the board and also selling it as a uh, an advantage and enabler rather than just a, an insurance policy, right? So so again, in some of the companies I've I've worked for, it's 
it's a way that we win business. Um, we, we don't even get past RFQ doors in a lot of cases if we don't have a good story to tell in security. And again, that kind of comes back to the compliance, but also seeing, making it enable there and also talking the business language that, that people um, that you were talking about, uh, Peter. Okay, good stuff. Okay, uh, Craig, would I go to you for your question? Yeah, so risk quantification was was an interesting one for me when when we we started speaking about it, Rob. So um, I started really digging into it, and we we are actually looking at a a product now. Um, one of the things that came to mind is will that or or does risk quantification sort of overlook the 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 subjective elements? Um, of risk management. So, you know, we, we get a false sense of security because we've got all this data that says, you know, the risk isn't going to be uh, realized, but is, is that realistic? Um, so I think one of the, the main reasons for risk quant is to kind of take that that human bias out of it. But at the same time, there are some complex environments that you you get to know well, the longer you've been there. So, so I'm kind of thinking, does the full science of risk quantification sort of take away that that experience that we've got? I think the questions answer longer than the, some of the answers going to be, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please, we'll see. It's funny, well, actually, I was having a discussion with the, the engineers about this this afternoon. When you look at vulnerabilities and what's been exploited, if we try and quantify the events, the incidents we've had, with a lot of our tools set, it'd be pretty much flatlined. And they'll get the odd patch for a very odd exploit that will be temporarily very difficult to exploit, but it's critical. So you've done the right amount of work around that risk to go, actually, it's a low risk. But what we've seen really over the past two or three years is some products go like this little, little heartbeat and then go really erratically because that is the fun toy of the day. And we've seen it with Citrix recently. We saw it with Move It last year, I want to say. We saw it with Log4j. Where are these, these little nuances we never heard of? So we, we wouldn't have really quantified it. Oh, Citrix is safe, or Microsoft is safe, or something else is safe. And that's where I do agree with that false sense of security. It's same that when you're trying to work out risks from the human beings, the engineers, the security people, the personnel. It's all right, a churn is one or two engineers a year, but then the management buyout happens, or something significant happens in the market, and you lose half your team, or, or somebody moves in uh, an independent consultancy that actually all your staff don't work for your internal security team and you want to work for the external security team. And that's why sometimes you do fall down. And actually, similarly, I've been talking to a platform and actually I've gone, great, you're pulling us data from a, a ServiceNow style product, but nature of the beast in cyber, we are changing all the time. And actually, operational risk, quantifying that is probably superiorly easier and probably you could get away with feeling comfortable. But cyber, as we know, we could be sat down having a dinner before we know we're dealing with the P1 for the next four, eight hours. Well, unfortunately, that is the set of facts. So that realisation of that vulnerability um, can go from nothing to extreme very, very quickly, which is obviously why we all work in this space, because we all want to, uh, you know, work 24-7, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul, comes you. Peter, I think you've just invented something. I think you've just invented variable quantification. Um, and I'm going to copyright that quickly because you're absolutely right. You know, you've got the risk in your risk register and you've got, you know, your calculations of likelihood and impact and that good stuff and the pound sign against it. If it goes wrong, you know, what, what, how bad is it going to be? And it is so difficult because, you know, you, 
you have to have that ability to at least have a ballpark figure of how bad it is. Again, going back to the regulatory side of things, if it's GDPR, it's going to be this much. Um, and But if that risk decides to then like aggregate with another risk, like a, like a domino effect, that quantification goes out the window. So I think it's good to have at least an idea, but not exactly as, as Craig said, you know, rely too much on that as it being that's as bad as it's ever going to get because it can always get worse, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that I've seen too is that a lot of these um, risk quantification tools, and not all of them, um, but a lot of them rely on reducing likelihood all the time, right? Um, and actually, if we start moving more towards resilience, sometimes we're not going to stop it, but we can minimize the impact by recovering really quickly, right? So so um, I think some of the tools maybe don't take the, the impact side of it into, into as much um, uh, importance as they should be and, and maybe that's something that needs to we need to start looking at as well but yeah i've already patented the variable thing oh, so sorry so close <laughs> except all the royalties <laughs> yeah i can live with that does <laughs> it okay um yeah please we'll come to you for your question yeah i mean this is the age-old issue isn't it actually it leads on quite nicely from the risk question you know, scaremongering is still a volume that people are using to talk to boards, and it's wrong. And how do we avoid talking about, you know, well, how do we have the right subject matter around return investment, risk, without actually going, yeah, but we have this big list of everything that's going to go wrong, and it's going to cost you lots and lots of money. Because operationally, you know, they're trying to make money. And it's one of the things I found difficult to um, do right. You know, how, how do you say, you know what, everything's okay. And one of the discussions I have with our senior team is, if they're not talking to me, I'm doing a good job. But if they're talking to me, I've got to ask why, but I want them talking to me. But how do we get at this vicious circle? Uh, and I know it's an age-old question, but I thought it'd be great to talk about today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you've you got to know the room, haven't you? There, there, there are some people who just need that little bit of scaring. But I think... In the olden days, you're absolutely right. It was a whole fear, uncertainty, and doubt approach. These days, there there isn't a lot of uncertainty because there's so much out there showing the facts that if you don't look after your environment, your people, from a technology as well as a you know the policy side of things as well, if you don't look after them, it is going to happen. Um, so what what we're selling that that board is, it is going to happen, and it's up to you how much of an effect that's going to have on us. Now, if we have the investment in these areas, exactly as Craig said, you know, we can recover quicker. We can limit the impact potentially. Um, so I would be amazed if if uh, any board wasn't, you know, scared. Um, uh, and, and the fear mongering was just like inherent these days because there's so much nastiness floating around out there. It might not be a targeted attack. It could just be something that was floating around that your vulnerability let right through the front door. Um, and so it, it, we can't have that complacency, and that's the thing I think we need. To, you need to sell, isn't it? You know, we can't be complacent that we're we make widgets. No one's going to affect us. No one's going to come and come knock on our door. Nah, it's, it's not going to happen. So like, don't wear a face mask. You're going to catch something. You know, don't protect yourself. Something is going to happen. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there that um, I want to pick up on. I think, Paul, you probably hit the nail on the head. So I think the press does enough of the fear mongering for us these days. Um, so, yeah, what 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 I always like to do is to try, you know, become the advisor. Again, nothing groundbreaking here that I'm going to be speaking about, but become someone that they that, that trust and that they want to speak to, as Peter mentioned. 
Um, I always try to use success stories. So even going back to something like when Bill Gates sent that memo to start trustworthy computing. I know that's quite an old story now, but I was at Microsoft. I saw what it was like there. We 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 were crazy in some parts, and you know we stopped everything. We we started building um, securely or more securely at least. Um, so always always give the compelling tale. Always tell success stories where we've won. Um, and then again, going back to my earlier point, is is build it into part of the business. So um, in my in my area with product security, um, I've got a I've got a big responsibility to making sure that our, our products are secure, um, and it helps us to sell, right? So so you know we 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 aren't regulated that much, but you can imagine the automotive automotive customers that we have are very regulated. So being able to to meet their um, requirements is, is, is a big deal for us and that it's a lot, takes a lot of investment. But when we can show that, you know, that little bit of effort that we did in one particular security area won us a big deal, it's a great story to tell. And those are the ones we, we try to focus on rather than just being scared all the time. And I think if you can get to the point where you can respond, we are not affected to the latest story that's on the press, I think that's a good, good place to be. So, um, and be confident when you say that. That definitely gets you the trust and gets you that advisory role that you you're expecting. True. Anything to add on that, Peter? Yeah, no, it's, it's all really interesting. I mean, success stories I think are really good, and it's success stories that aren't showing off, which aren't mm-hmm. gloating. I think that's really important because you know you you want to be doing a success every day, don't you? That's the ditch of the beast. We want to be protecting the business every day. Don't look at me. We stopped a we stopped a thousand um, you know, packets on the firewall today. Well, all right, so what? The firewall did it, not you. Um, and and it's having that right conversation, isn't it? And I think absolutely what Paul and Craig were saying. Getting that that fear, uncertainty, and doubt is it's just one of those things. And actually, going back to one of our other points, regulation helps. And this, I think Craig, you mentioned it. I suspect you talk about T sacks and all that sort of stuff as well. They help the conversation. Smaller businesses, they do think they're. You know, vulnerable because why? Why target me? Well, that's why you want to say, well, prevention is far cheaper than uh, the aftermath um, because it does domino effect. Specifically, if you start, if you're working for an international business, because you're not just dealing with GDPR, you might be dealing with uh, other localized uh, regulatory issues. I have to deal with uh, a series of uh, well-known islands of America, who not only like American laws, like EU laws and they're like British laws. So it can dominate just for one country. Mm. So it's having those right conversations and getting the right allies, I think, for me as well. Yes. If you've got the right allies in the senior team, legal and um, company secretaries and stuff like that, you're not telling them something new for the first time because they're hearing it part of that regular water cooler conversation. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm bringing out all the classics here, but again, if you think security is expensive, wait till something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the the board reckon that we just walk around with you know placards on us. Go, the end is nigh. Come to the Chinese, the Chinese cyber army. We're all doomed. Where it's true, but if you give us some money, we can be less doomed. <laughs> okay, um, both. Yeah, we'll come to you for your question. So, um, yeah, th- this question is very much you know. The, the lovely black magic that is the GRC tool. You know, do, does risk management need a nice expensive GRC, GRC tool with all the happyometers that seems to have a, a spreadsheet around the back end that needs so much manual input b- before you get those happyometers? Or you know, can we just do this in a sensible way that is manageable 
without investing so much money into, into one of these devices. Peter? Yeah, it's pretty really interesting. I had a conversation with a company who reached out to me this morning. And there's a, there's a trap that these platforms fall into very, very quickly. They're trying to be the one size fits all. But there is a difference on, on the type of business you're trying to pitch this to. There is a smaller business who are trying to tick a box. And it might be as basic as cyber essentials because they want to do some work with MOD. And it might be only two or three of them dealing with it. And, and that's fine to a point. And you get towards a small creeping into a medium-sized business. And they're probably looking at ISO 27001 at this point in time. So great. There's, there's, there's an abundance of platforms out there that could help you. But what they start doing is automate a lot of things. They automate the, the policies, the procedures. It's like, whoa, my auditor hat starts quivering telling me, no, 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 you're not dealing with the risk properly than I. And then you get to that medium-sized business. And the medium for a reason, because they get into a, a critical mass because of selling, growth, human beings, and they're likely selling going to international markets. Well, all of a sudden, into the 27,000 whilst it's great, they're dealing with other regulatory matters, other legislation. As soon as they creep into the United States, well, it depends what state you're in and this, that, and the other, other things come into play. And all of a sudden, uh, particularly in my world, I'm dealing with Sarbanes Oxley one day, Cyber Essentials next day, I saw 27,000 another day. The financial bodies, fire hoops of doom, and you want me to have us all on one platform. Well, what ends up happening is I've got one platform doing half the job. I'm still having to do a lot of things manually anyway. So I'm losing the investment. I'm leaking investment, if you like, because it's not possible to meet everybody's needs. And I don't think the platforms have realized this yet. And I don't, so that's what worries me. I don't want your policies written for me because I've done the controls. I've looked at the risks. I've identified, identified the controls I want, not the ones that you think I might have because I might have different justifications. And that's what worries me. And actually, I'm still of the old school. I'm still using open source tools because... You can mess around in the back end and you can do things, nice things for you when you mess around if you've got time and effort. Um, but they're, they're, they're a long way off. I and mean, if you start speaking to their um, engineers and you start talking about Sarbanes and others, they go glassy-eyed very, very, very quickly. Okay. Yeah, I'll just pick up exactly on those points. I think the the one size fits all is is a is a big deal, right? So I think with the we've 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 seen many, many tools that come in again that Say, yeah, we can do everything you want, but that slight little bit of bespoke change that you need blows it out of the water. Um, there's one tool that I won't mention that used to, that I really, really used to respect, and it wasn't specifically in GLC, but they've tried to become the tool that will rule them all, and they've really sort of blown themselves out the water. And then picking up what Paul said, I think ultimately there's always still that special Excel spreadsheet that lives on the end of it that everyone actually is the one that looks at, that you look at, right, rather than the wonderful tool that you've just bought. Because, yeah, basically it still comes down to being subjective and, and looking at it. So, so yeah, I, I think the answer is probably no, because in a lot of cases you still end up with that Excel tool. Sure. I mean, it sounds like the most useful thing that we could have are um, framework mapping tools. So uh, I'm doing cyber essentials. I've got my CAF assessment that's been done. I've got some 27,001. How, how does that, how far am I to NIST CSF mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. Oh, I can look through it and try and, no, a decent mapping tool. That's what you need. Stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I concur on that. And then the audits I have, if I can just go right here, Sabins today, filters on my controls and evidence. And I think that's the other big thing as well. Not all these platforms deal with evidence very well, and because they all want different things and different days and different viewpoints, you're either going from a 
sampling set of a ISO audit. Uh, Cyber Essentials depends on which auditor you get and assessor you get. Depends if they understand what I ask me want. Being a little bit harsh, but I'm sure people agree with me. Um, 32 financial audits, which is a completely different ball game. But if you're managing them in the same management suite uh, system, which might be an ISO management system, I, that's how exactly how I work. That's, I live and breathe ISO. I was, an, I was an ISO auditor for a decade. But these tools don't quite match that. Great. Any, any further points to add on that? Maya, nothing else with Matt specifically, but yeah, just... we just know not to in, not to invest in big, expensive GRC tools. And, and yeah, but I don't want to be typing the stuff in manually around the back. <laughs> <laughs> but but one of the things I did want to pick up and maybe just also on on Peter. So the um, both of you mentioned cyber essentials, and um, and we both or we've all been saying that that regulation helps, but I think cyber essentials has also almost become too complex for its own good now. Um, I've, I've, I'm hearing a lot of smaller companies aren't even able to do it anymore, and they were the companies that were actually being targeted specifically for it. So, so it's not always not always a good thing. It's certainly a good start, but yeah, not always. But no, other than that, nothing nothing specific to add. Thanks. Okay, I think we're done. We should leave it there. So uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank the panel for providing their insights in the topic and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email robert.wall at evolutionjobs.co.uk and we will see you next time. Thank you.